Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches of Husky podcast from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven channel. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me is Jake Grant, and we're like Wang and O'Bannon. I think you got me. Okay, so it's John Wang. Everybody's going to be so disappointed in me. Owen Wilson and uh, Jackie Chan. Isn't it John Wang? Yeah, the way he says it sounds like John Wang. It's Shanghai Noon. That's a good. That's a good movie. I haven't seen those movies in a long time. John Wayne. That's a terrible name for a cowboy. <laughs> I end up watching Rush Hour more than I end up watching. Oh, for sure. I I dig Chris Tucker, man. Yeah. That guy cracks me up. Me too. Yeah, that's that's a good call. But um, we've been doing this is year three, and we've done over a hundred shows, and yeah, uh, we're I gotta find combo. duos, man. <laughs> You gotta find duo somewhere. Next week, your combo is gonna be, and this is Trevor and Jake <laughs> <laughs> from that podcast that nobody listens to. <laughs> I'm blank. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hey, we're here to talk about uh, my least favorite school in the country, and a school that I uh, find myself rooting for on most Saturdays. Yeah, and of course, that's the Oregon schools. And uh, Jake, we have a really special guest. He's a former player uh, at Oregon State, and now he's he works at Coin Six News. He's the college football reporter analyst. Two podcasts going on Coin Six: one for the Beavers and one for the Ducks. His name is Marcus yep. Breves. You're gonna really like his insight. Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven channel. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me, Marcus Greaves. He covers. Oregon State. He covers the University of Oregon for Coin6 News. He's a sports reporter and he's an analyst as well. You can see him on TV uh, fairly often whenever there's <laughs> something going often, on. Baby. Whenever, whenever there's sports on, we'll be there. Marcus, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Awesome. Well, uh, so first off, we're going to start with the team closest to your heart and closest <laughs> to you geographically. We're going to go with Oregon State. Um, let's start off with the Beavs. What's the state of the program? So right now, I think the state of the program is, is sitting pretty solid, man, to be honest with you. I know that by, from experience as well, playing at Oregon State from 2013 to 2016, that there were some rough seasons, man, and, and the state of the program, you know, I think it hit an all-time low, probably lowest it's ever been. Maybe, yeah, actually probably maybe the lowest it's ever been. So you look at the program now, you see what Jonathan Smith and his staff are doing both offensively and defensively, they've made huge strides over these past couple of seasons. Even tying for second place in the Pac-12 North last season was a massive accomplishment. Five wins. I always said this on my podcast that we have at Coin. I was like, man, if Oregon State can win five games in the season, there's going to be a parade in Corvallis just because of how rough it's been the past, you know, four or five seasons. So to see them on a steady climb, it's, it's good. And you got to feel good with what Jonathan Smith and staff are doing. Yeah, and you know, for Husky fans, Oregon State is a place that we take a look at because of uh, Jonathan Smith heading up the program down there. Of course, he was a, a he's a living legend down there for what he did uh, when he was a quarterback there, and you know, coming up here, he was the orchestrator of some of the best uh, offenses under the Chris Peterson era, um, and watching Oregon State 
start to inch back, back closer to relevancy um, has been something that uh, I think Husky fans uh, root for. And, you know, they were a, a couple seconds away of not only making it back to a bowl game, but stopping Washington State from going to one too, which Husky fans also really like. Yeah, and Oregon State, you know, they, they're making some really solid strides. Like I said, Coach Smith and the staff are doing the right thing. They're getting the right players. That's kind of been the most important thing for me is you understand, you know, they say it takes, what, four years probably to build a program back to exactly what you want as a coach or as a player of, you know, maybe being relevant, getting some more wins. When you look at it, Coach Smith, they've, they've grown every season, right? At first, I'm not, I won't lie to you, he wasn't handed a lot of talent, right? A lot of the talent left with Coach Anderson. Um, you know, either graduating or guys transferring away from Oregon State. And, you know, with Coach Anderson being at Oregon State, a lot of the talent already left. So what Coach Smith inherited and what he was able to do with that, I thought it was extremely impressive. Again, his offensive mind is through the roof. So you see their growth offensively where they're a lot more dynamic through the air, on the ground. They have a ton of weapons around. I thought the biggest question for a long time was, okay, well, who's the solid quarterback for Oregon State? But now you start to see what Coach Smith and his staff can do once they finally get a quarterback like they did with Jake Luton, who had the big arm. He was a solid quarterback. And Coach Smith, I thought, elevated his game. Then you flip on over to the defensive side of the ball. Oregon State's defense, and I'm not even going to beat around the bush for you guys. And, you know, Trevor, you obviously know this as well. Oregon State's defense was absolutely terrible. And it was it was top uh, – it was the bottom two defense in the entire country at one point, which that, that, should, that should tell you – what that is. But now you look down the list of not just the talent, but how much they've made that progress of, you know, they might, even if there's games that they give up those, you know, the 30 to 40 points, the offense is already scoring 40 to 50. So, you know, it, there's, there's work that needs to be done on both sides of the ball, but just to see how much better Oregon State has gotten over these past couple seasons under Coach Smith makes a former player like me feel real good, man. I won't lie to you. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like uh, Coach Smith has got the blessing of all of Corvallis and Beaver Nation. And uh, along that line of him building them back to being competitive, where are they at when it comes to competing for the conference? Because some people are picking them to be sort of a dark horse contender. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think, I think they're about a season away. I, I won't jump the gun yet because I think last season – was a really good indication of the growth compared to the last couple of seasons that we've had. But you look at it, you lose someone like Jake Luton. Again, that's your star quarterback. You lose Isaiah Hodgins. There's your star receiver. Those guys produced a lot of touchdowns together. So you lose those two, those two guys on top of a pretty solid offensive line. And now the questions are going to be raised of, okay, offensively, who's the quarterback? It's probably going to be Tristan Jevia, but we don't really know what he can do yet, right? He was kind of thrown into the fire against a really good Oregon defense in the Civil War last season. But you didn't really see a lot of, you know, flash or anything crazy. And it kind of left you scratching your head for a second, like, is this the guy? But then once I saw him in spring uh, football for a little bit before all this COVID stuff kind of kicked off, was he looked pretty solid. And he looked like he commanded the offense well. But another question that I have is, okay, so – we saw what he can do in practice. What can he do in the game? On top of that, who's now the go-to target at receiver? I mean, that's big. You lose a guy like Isaiah Hodgins, who's around 6'3", 6'4", 200 pounds. He was a red zone threat, and he was a nightmare for defensive coordinators because he could move so well. His route running was so crisp. So you lose those two guys, and there goes a lot of progress offensively. Again, you still have great running backs, Jamar Jefferson, D.J. Baylor, those guys. You get some returning starters 
success that you've had at the receiver position, Trayvon Bradford. You have Tim Fleming's a the very electric 5-5 guy. So, I mean, the, the talent is still on the team, but again, you lose Jake, you lose Isaiah, and on top of that, they lost some key guys on the offensive line. Where is that going to go? So, I don't want to say that they're going to take a step back this upcoming season, but I think they have one more season until we finally see that that bigger stride. You know, I think it's been gradually every single season we see them get a little better. They might stay a little stagnant this year, to be honest with you, on the offensive side of the ball. So um, that's something to keep in mind. But you flip it on over to the defense. And let me tell you, Trevor, I just got done telling you that Oregon State's defense was the worst in the country at one point. I'm going to go out and say this is probably going to be a top two defense in the conference. And I, I would be willing to say that. And that's because they have a ton of returning talent. You have Hamico Rashid, the very dominant defensive lineman slash hybrid linebacker, all-American guy. A guy can wreak havoc on any single offense across the board. Uh, you get Addison Gums back. He was a transfer from Oklahoma. He only played, I think it was one or two games last season. And he was a guy who people saw as someone who's just as good, if not better than Hamaker. So those are two guys that are going to be on the edges of the defense, kind of rushing, bringing pressure on the quarterback. You have Jordan Whitley in the middle of the defense. That guy is an absolute monster on top of that. Isaac Hodges, uh, Isaiah's younger brother, is another guy who's been doing some serious work. You have Omar Spates, freshman All-American. Guy is just a tackling machine. Um, David Morris, he is another guy at safety. Broke the record for most tackles in the game for Oregon State at the safety position. Uh, that guy, again, you experienced vets. Avery Roberts, another great tackling machine. You have the Wright brothers at corner, two very tall, long, around 6'3 or 6'4 corners where, you know, Oregon State's kind of been picked on at the corner position for the past couple seasons, especially against the team like Stanford with those bigger guys at receiver, bigger tight ends. But now Oregon State gets guys like that. So you go down in the red zone that we saw against Arizona State last season where Arizona State tried to pick on the corners. But when you have tall corners, you can't really pick on them with those jump balls anymore. Now you have to actually make sure your passes are on point, especially if you're doing back shoulder fades. But a good example, like I was saying, was Razon Wright, um, the 6'3 corner. I mean, I think he had a, a one pick and I and four pass deflections. So that's something to keep in mind. And they got his younger brother, who a lot of people say is a lot better. You can go find him if you are curious to what his brother is like on Last Chance You on Netflix. And then the last guy that people forget about, he's a Washington native, a, a vet, just an overall dog, is Andre Hughes-Murray. He's a very talented guy, but he's been sidelined the past couple seasons with some injuries. So they get him back 100% healthy. And like I said, Trevor, I have no doubt in my mind that this could very easily be a top two defense in the conference because of the talent they get back and how much they've taken a stride. And you put all those weapons together, this defense is going to look pretty scary, man. Yeah, I mean, building around somebody like Rashid, uh, one of the best defenders in the conference, is a really good place to start. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny. You th Oregon State did when it comes to their outside corners. They went uh, the JC route to get those guys. But, um, you know, you see teams that – Oregon State was relatively young on defense last year, and, and they really – you know, are, is their starters, uh, is there a talent gap between their starters and the other stars in the Pac-12? No, it's mm -hmm. learning how to play at the division one level. And then you're bringing in those guys from Laney who have already played. That's a really good combination. Mm -hmm. um, so how is Oregon state going to win games? Are they going to outscore people or are they going to defend people? 
I think right now uh, it's going to be a flip, complete flip of what it was last season. Last season, I thought the defense did just enough, but the offense was was the kind of the side of the ball that carried them for the most part. I think it's going to be opposite on this time. I think Oregon State offensively they'll get it going from you know a few games, maybe every here and there. But you look at their schedule again. There's it's not like they have any gimme games. So if they're going to win. They got to make sure that both sides are playing well. I think the defense is going to be a lot more dominant than the offense will be. But again, when you have a defense like that, that is solid. But at the end of the day, what do everyone's kind of, they always have their own opinion. You know, you have a good defense. Um, your offense doesn't have to be that great. Well, I know people say that, but a couple of years ago when you watch Cal, where Cal had a great defense, but didn't have much of an offense. Uh, even last season when you saw, you know, when Chase Garbers got hurt, he went down at quarterback and their offense couldn't get anything going, but their defense was solid. They were holding, you know, they were holding the opponents, holding the opponents, holding the opponents, but you can only do so much when your defense is on the field for so long. So I think the defense is going to backpack the offense this year, but keep in mind again, if the offense isn't going to get going and they can't find a way to find that rhythm or find a solid, basically be a well-oiled machine all together and work together, I mean, the wins are going to be hard, man, especially if you, your defense is the only thing backpacking. Right. And, right. you know, when I think Oregon State, I think receiver and running back. And, uh, you know, if you can if you can find holes for uh, for those beaver backs, you know, it could be a, a long day for the Pac-12 North. So what is a successful season for the Beavs this year in this sixth game with a seventh? Mm-hmm. That's going to be a tough one, man, because, you know, if you would have told me they had a full season, uh, it would be bowl, bowl game or bust. You know, that's, right, kind of right. been, that's kind of been the, the motto, which is unfortunate because they haven't been to a bowl game since 2013. But uh, bowl game or bust is, it was what it would be. You know, I think going three and three would be a very successful season. Again, you look at the schedule, you've got Washington State at home. I think it's a game that you can win. You go to UW, again, dangerous territory. UW is always a very solid team. And, I'll be the first to tell you guys, for those of you who are UW fans, we've had a hard time playing UW. (laughs) We've had a very hard time. We haven't haven't had a lot of success there. So um, that's always a tough one for me. Again, if they can find a way to win, by all means, you only need three in my mind to have a successful season. But you got Cal at home. Cal's going to be elite. They get a lot of great guys back. They lost some of their key players, but they're a great coach team. Justin Wilcox is a fabulous coach. It's going to be hard to outcoach. Um, so I think that'll be a good battle between him and Coach Smith. Obviously, we already know what University of Oregon has. They have a lot of talent, um, but they've lost a lot of talent, especially with guys on the outfield. Yeah. Uh, that'll be something to keep in mind. Who's going to step up for them? Nobody really knows. If you're Oregon, or excuse me, if you're Oregon State, this might be another chance to maybe knock Oregon out when they're not on top, right? So if you want, if you want to steal another Civil War game, this might be the season to do that. Then you go to Utah again. Oregon State plays Utah very well, but um, that's at Utah. That'll be a tough one. And then you, you're at Stanford. And again, all these teams are solid teams. You know, any other season with not a weird schedule or, or with every everything with COVID going on, say they have the whole season, their whole roster, that would be – that's that's kind of the brutal gauntlet that you have to face in the Pac-12 North. And, you know, you go down and play a couple teams in the South, but, man, it is not easy. Every single game – and Coach Smith will tell you – Everybody this – and he'll say it every single time you ask him is that this is a hard conference to win. In. You know, anyone can beat anybody. And that's the, that's the problem. You know, this isn't the SEC where you got some gimme games when you're playing against conference opponents. No, it's every single team has a chance. And a good example of that, for all you Husky fans, I know you're going to enjoy this, obviously. 
Washington State played UCLA last season. Washington State goes up big. What happens? UCLA with a ton of firepower in the second half. I mean, that's just the reality of playing in the Pac-12. You've got a ton of talent all across the board at every position. It doesn't matter if it's offense, defense, or special teams. Guys are going to find ways to put points up on the board and make plays. So I think three and three would be a solid season for Oregon State. You look at the schedule again, it's going to be hard, but if they can pull that off, I think that would be an extreme. My favorite and least thing about this conference is – Every week you can win. Every week you can lose. The bad teams aren't usually all that bad. Yeah. Team of themes, and uh, it might keep us out of the playoff, which I'm not a big fan of, but it keeps every game relevant, and that's what I do like. Okay, Jake, you heard it. He's pretty high on um, Oregon State. He thinks yeah. that the Beavs, you know, um, are going to take that next step. You know, last year is crazy. They were so close. They yeah. were seconds away from beating Wazoo, not only making a bowl game, but denying Mike Leach a bowl game, which yeah. would have been fantastic. Epic for us. Yeah. So, what are, first blush, what are your thoughts on Oregon State? You know, it's, it, Oregon State to me is kind of the toughest team to read. Losing Jake Lutton, you know, that's the 10th year starter, Jake Lutton. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the quarterback position is wide open. Um, they, uh, they think it's Isaiah be... Hodgins. Right, exactly. You know, that redshirt junior, Tristan, uh, how do you pronounce that? Gabia? Yeah, Gabia. Yeah, he, he, he looks to me like he's the one that's going to take the starting job, but he is an unknown commodity. Um, who knows what that offense is going to look like? They say he's got some arm talent, but who knows? On the defensive side of the ball, they haven't closed out any battles except for one, and that's that returning middle linebacker. Yeah, um, Makar Rashid. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so there's a there's a there's a lot of turnover, but with a Jonathan Smith coach team, I would imagine that they're gonna they're gonna bounce back pretty well. Yeah, and you know what he was talking about really is is that like you're saying those positions are open, but they're going to be filled by guys who were on the worst defense in the nation almost yeah. it was a historically bad defense, but you know, there's two ways to look at that. Number one, you know, you could get better uh, through experience or you're going to still be bad in Marcus's case. He thinks that that group is going to take a step and, yeah. you know, they did it through how teams like Oregon state get good. And that's going through the junior college routes and getting um, the kid from Laney College that was one of the stars of um, Rayshon from uh, from uh, Last Chance U. Um, yeah. Plus all those guys being back, another year of communication and development, which, you know, Oregon State's shown in Jonathan Smith's really short tenure that he can develop players. Yeah. But isn't this the weirdest time for Oregon State where when you think Oregon State, you think quarterbacks – not so much quarterbacks, but running backs, receivers, and now it's really an unknown. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, it absolutely is. And, and if anybody can coach him up, it's going to be Jonathan Smith. Um, he, had a, he had a prolific offense when he was the offensive coordinator here. A lot of fans are kind of split 50-50 on how he ran that offense. But as I look back with the Jonathan, Jonathan Smith-led offense versus the offense that we had last year, I'd take Jonathan Smith's offense 10 times out of 10, you know, and, and we've talked about that before. It's easy to hindsight's 50 or 2020, 
and yeah, 2020, uh, it's easy to, to pick and choose what you think was what he did good. And now looking back, I'd, I'd take it again. Yeah, and this might be a little bit controversial, but I, it's really not. But you wonder how much of the offense – so his best year, obviously, was Jake Browning's sophomore year when yeah. he had Dante Pettis, he had Miles Gaskin, and he had John Ross. Yeah. Um, and that, that was such a good offense. Was it because of those guys? Yes. But also, was it Coach Peterson's offense that really held – Jonathan Smith into a box that he wasn't comfortable with. And now you see the offensive success that he's had at Oregon state. You got to think he's a really brilliant offensive mind. Yeah. But to combat that point too, look at the, the star ratings. I mean, I know we say star ratings don't mean a lot, but look at the star ratings of all those players that you just named off. I think the highest star was Jake Browning at a four star. Jake was a four-star and John uh, John Ross was a four-star. But, I mean, other than that, Pettis three, you know, there's a bunch of three-star guys that they coached up to be a a nation-leading scoring offense. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of just depends on how you feel about Jonathan Smith. But, personally, I like him. Um, He hasn't had that glory as an offense or as a head coach yet, but he's got time. I don't think he's in the hot seat. I think he's going to be given many, many more years to come. Oh yeah. And Marcus said it. I mean, if, if if, going five and seven, they're going to parade through the streets after what they saw with uh, uh, the uh, Gary Gary Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Which I mean, that, that was an absolute train wreck. That was the lowest that program has ever been. Yeah. Um, So, you know, who knows, I'm I'm higher on them after listening to Marcus. Uh, the question that I have is the two transfer receivers that could be big for them. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to play. It's uh, Treshawn right. Harrison from Seattle who went to Florida yeah. State, and then Trey Lowe, who's a Washington um, uh, transfer. If this was played in 2021, they would have been with the Beavers for a calendar year they could play. But now yeah. that we're playing in 2020 – yeah. I don't know if they're going to be eligible. And I haven't, right. I've kind of scoured around to see what they're leaning and I haven't, or, you know, if there's a decision and I haven't really found much. Um, yeah, honestly, I'm a little, I'm a little perturbed that we could possibly play Trey low this year because I was super, when he came into the liked program, him a lot, yeah. I was so high on him. So the fact that he went to a school that we have to play every year. I was, yeah. I was a little bummed. I mean, I wasn't mad at Trey. Yeah. Trey's got to go where he's going to get his time. But I'm bummed that we have to play a Trey low in, against our defense. And, and it's going to be fun to watch us whoop up on him. Yeah. And, I mean, you and – when we had Kayla Olin on a long time ago, we talked about Trey Lowe after he transferred and, you know, it was either you or her made the point that that receiver room has gotten crowded. And honestly, looking at it now, I don't know how much reps he gets. Right. And still to, to, till this day, even losing talent last year, yeah. you know, with Pacelli and Fuller and, and Chico losing all those guys, that's still a crowded room full of young and up and coming guys. And it's just hard to see, him breaking into a uh, every day down, every every down guy, you know. So I don't know, but 
I'm interested to see what his role in that offense is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to uh, our score predictions or our game predictions. So first they start off uh, with a home game against WSU. Yeah, I'm going to pick that as a win. Yep, I did as well. I think, I think their four tens are going to turn uh, from last year's, and I think they're going to end up making that field goal at the end to win the game. Well, you know, last year it came down to a last-second touchdown. That was the yeah. frustrating part is yeah. they, if they had any sort of um, defense, they win that game. Washington State's luck is going to run out, I think, with that. It's, it's a rebuild. Yeah, you know, especially this year. Leach had a good thing going there, but they had reached their pinnacle with him, and I, especially yeah. with that program. And so yeah. – Getting a new coach is going to be a step back for that team. Yeah, absolutely. It, it'll take Rolovich some time. We'll see if he gets some stuff going. You know, Leach has his strengths. I think Rolovich has his strengths as yeah. well as more. I know there were some issues around. Well, we'll get to WSU another time. Yeah, right. Um, all right. So now then they travel up to Husky Stadium. What do you got? Uh, Huskies are going to win that one. Yeah. That's going to be a closer game than a, th- a lot of people think, though. You know, Huskies are kind of rebuilding as well. And obviously, we'll talk about the Huskies, but. Yeah, that's where we. There's we of, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of similarities um, going into. And not to be um, overlooked is the fact that Oregon State is only one of two teams that brought back their entire coaching staff. Yeah. In the Pac-12. In the Pac so, yep. you know, that's the head coach and 10 assistants. And to be one of those two teams, there's no turnover as far as learning new schemes or new routes or new defenses. All these kids know exactly what they're getting into this year. And there's, it's kind of like going from algebra 100 to algebra two, 300. And these kids are all a little bit farther advanced into that program than the rest of the Pac-12 is. And that's a, that's a, that's a major concern for me going playing them early, especially. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see. They, uh, Jimmy Lake and John Donovan have both said that the, um, the, the playbook's going to be easier, and uh, yeah. hopefully that comes into play. Uh, next, the Beavs host the California Golden Bears. Uh, I'm, uh, that's a tough game to pick. I think I'm going to go with Cal on that one. Okay. So I – I chose a win here for Oregon State um, because if Oregon State's defense is as good as as Marcus thinks they could be, um, yeah. I think that they can they can hang with a Cal team that um, you know lost their spiritual leader and Evan Weaver and. Um, they, uh, you know, their, their defense was good at times, but they also struggled at times. And, um, I'm going to say that's a win leading into the civil war in the middle of the year. And honestly, I think that's a little ballsy, Trev. I really do. Cal, Cal put it to us last year. So yeah, at two in the morning when they threw a Hail Mary to win the game, I don't call that. They they got us. They got got us. That defense was, that defense was ruthless last year. It was at times. Um, next, Oregon State goes to Oregon. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. they host Oregon. Okay. Well, that's, I'm, that's still not going to change my answer, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Um, I think Oregon's going to get them. I think yeah, this I is going to be the closest game that they have in a lot of years. Yep. But I still think Oregon's it's going to be it's going Oregon's going to squeak it out at the end. Yeah, I think you're right too. That um, Oregon just has. I mean, Oregon, USC, and Washington. When you look at, I know that you we talked about star rating a little bit earlier, but yeah. they have the second most amount of four and five star players on their roster. Right. Second to who? In the country or in the pack? In the Pac-12. USC. You dub? Really? You got me on that one. Yep. Um, I'm still calling it a loss for Oregon State. I think they're closer. I think that this gives Oregon's offensive line a chance to uh, gel. Yeah. And I think hopefully this is the loudest that Reeser Stadium has been during the Civil War in quite some time. I'd like to see them bring the noise, especially with Oregon kind of I don't know if you necessarily call it a rebuild year for Oregon, but there's a lot of turnover in that program. So Oregon State fans, if they do rattle off a couple early wins, you got to think that they think that they're going to win that game and they're going to go into that with a lot of energy. And, you know, I'm rooting, I'm rooting hard for the Beavs in that one. Oh, I am too. Unfortunately, I'm nobody will be at Reeser. No <laughs> one's going to be at Reeser. Oh, God. Maybe 2020. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll turn up the chainsaw a little bit louder. Yeah. All right. I I I blacked the whole year out, so I just everything. <laughs> uh, and so then after that, the Beavs head to Utah. Yeah, and unfortunately, they're going to take another L. That's <sighs> gonna be, I mean, that's going to be a hard-fought game against Oregon, and. Uh, you know, they always say after a hard-fought game is the toughest game to come back and play, and mm-hmm. that's two opponents right there that are really risky to play back-to-back games against. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think they drop both of them. I yeah, and Oregon State seems to play like ugly, nasty games close. I mean, that's what they they lost to Washington last year. I don't have the score off the top of my head, but it wasn't a it wasn't a high-scoring game. Um, so, those big ugly games. Everybody they, thought it would be. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. Washington's defense was just that dominant. Right. Um, so I also have it as a loss. I think getting hit by Cal, hit by Oregon, hit by Utah. Yeah. Probably yeah. three of the four toughest Most physical teams. teams. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Then they finish out the year at Stanford. And I think that's going to be a win for them. I think Stanford's going to be reeling this year. I agree. Not to dive too deep into Stanford, but I really do think they're going to be real in this year. Yeah. And, you know, Oregon State, even during their down years, they played Stanford well. Right. Um, so, you know, it's those teams that even when they're bad, they play teams good. I think of like WSU seemed to always play Oregon well when they were, when WSU was early in the tenure of Mike Leach. Um, Cal playing us close every year, beating us sometimes. Um, Oregon State has always nipped at the heels of Stanford, and I think they get the W this year. Yeah, good, good. So you have the Beavs going two and four. I have them going three and three. Um, I think, I mean, (laughs) if you were over-undering the Beavers this year, I think you'd put it at two and a half wins. I think you're probably right. 
I think you could probably put it at three just for that that last game where they're mm-hmm. going to be playing whoever it is that's equivalent to them in the South. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's probably, I mean, I'm going under, you're going over. Hopefully you're right. Hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, I don't want to root for anybody other than the dogs, but in reality, I'm hoping they clip the ducks. I wouldn't mind them seeing, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them clip the Utes. Yep. If If they went two and one against Cal, Utah, and Oregon, that would be a major success in my opinion. If they go two and one in that stretch, they're looking at a four and two season. Right. So that's that's the focus of games for them right there is that three-game stretch. I would say it's probably a four-game stretch because you put Washington in there. They got four tough teams right now. Right, right. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, how do you – I think you got to prepare for three. Yeah. Maybe prepare, you know, in that three-game stretch, prepare for two like we did against uh, the, the year that we went to the playoff where we focused on um, Stanford and USC. And yeah. there was two games that we focused all our energy on beating Stanford. Right. You know, that year. So you kind of have to take your chunk seasons right. and focus on a couple games. And hopefully they pull two of the three out on that stretch. Hopefully they drop that fourth one against us. Yeah. All right, we'll hear from Marcus again, previewing Oregon, and we'll come back to uh, pick their schedule. Let's jump right into the Ducks. Uh, What's the state of this program? I think right now they're finally climbing their way back. I know there's been a couple down seasons, right, with a lot of coaching changes between Mark Hilfrich, Willie Taggart. Um, And now you get Mario Cristobal. We already know what he can do in the recruiting world, man. He's been been absolutely killing it. On top of that, they're just – you see the success that they've had last season with that Rose Bowl team, and, and they were a darn good team. They've had a ton of talent, um, you know, on and off the field all the time. But these guys, these guys are for real, man. And with the staff like Coach Cristobal and you constantly reload year after year, it's hard to not say that these guys are the state of the program is, is almost back to what we knew Oregon to be for a long time. Awesome. And uh, I mean, I'm, I live in Vancouver. I'm right, right up the road from Eugene. Um, I know what the fan base thinks about this coaching staff. It seems like they have a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you have to, I mean, you look at it and it seems like every single time, um, you know, especially me when I get on Twitter or whatever it is on my social media, I see, you know, a lot of duck um, recruits tweeting out, you know, we're not finished. We're not finished. Mario Cristobal is always, you know, throwing up some some funny videos or whatever it is, being hyped because they got another big time recruit. Uh, it's just it's gonna. I think it's a trend that's gonna start happening. Is that listen, man, Mario Cristobal and the staff they know how to recruit. They know how to get the job done. They know how to get in kids' ears and let them know, you know, and sell them sell them the vision. I mean, this isn't this isn't a knock on Oregon or anything. They are they are good at at selling what they have to offer. They they really are. They're a very talented coaching staff. They see the success of the win column and that's between that Rose Bowls and let's not kid ourselves. I mean, they, they are one of the best darn good looking teams in the entire country. Right. You know, when you, when you look good, you feel good, you play good and everything like that. So um, it, it's too hard to right now to look at that staff and not be impressed with what they can do because um, Scott Frost, the former Oregon offensive coordinator saying, was saying that it was extremely hard to recruit for you, you know, a while ago back, a couple of years ago and you, and you sit back and you're like, well, is it really that hard or did you just not do it right? You know what I'm saying? And I think coach Chris Ball and the staff have done a fantastic job 
of finding certain points that interest kids. And let's be honest, if you win, people want to play for winners, man. People want to win. Nobody wants to lose. So the more that they continue to win, the more of a solid upward trend that you're going to see from the Ducks, not just in recruiting, but winning year after year after year. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's – it's, it pains me to say this, but I mean, they, they are out recruiting most teams in the Pac-12. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it's, it's, they're just, they're relentless. And, uh, you know, they hang around and, and things go their way uh, and a recruit, you know, somebody like Kevion Thibodeau, who, you know, shouldn't by all accounts be at somewhere like Oregon. He ends up at Oregon and he loves it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, immediately comes on the field and makes a difference, and yeah. and that that's definitely something that is noticed by other recruits. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is probably the easiest question I'm going to ask you: Where are they when it comes to competing for uh, a conference championship? Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, again, n- no game is a gimme game in the in the Pac-12, and I think we saw that, right? So last year against Arizona State, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly, and that's the same. That's the same thing where you're like, well, Arizona State just lost to Oregon State. Yep. Then you look at it, you're like, oh man, you know, Oregon's gonna run over, and then Oregon ends up getting upset. But that's just how it goes. Late games and no, no, late conference games in November, man, are they're not nice to anybody. It does not matter. I know, obviously, Washington has experienced that. Every team that's that sit at the top of the conference at one point has experienced a late conference November game on the road that did not go their way. It's just how it goes, right? And, and it's not like the teams that you play in the conference are bad by any means. Everyone is good at their own thing, and that's why they do it. You know, obviously with Stanford, they have that I-formation offense where for a long time the Ducks have struggled. But you, there, you can see the adjustments that Oregon has made in order to force themselves and push themselves to the top and try and stay there, right? They, it's not like they can't compete with teams. Talent has never been an issue for them. So, again, I think they, can, they have a very great chance Maybe not as much now with their defense leaving. I mean, I think we missed out on probably the best defense Oregon w- would have ever had in yeah. program yeah. history with a lot of the guys opting out. But just in general, when it comes to competing, I think they'll, they'll still be up there. They'll still be in the top two, no question, in my mind. And, and I'm interested to see how it's going to go with a lot of these guys opting out. More importantly, their best players opting out. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, you look at it, they lost their entire – uh, secondary Washington lost their two best uh, on the line, and uh, you know with uh, Brady Breeze being the th- I think he was the third defensive back to uh, to opt out. You know that's where that was looking like it could be the best defensive backfield not only in the Pac-12 but in the country. Yeah, definitely. And you lose guys like that, and you just don't really know what direction to go in now. Now you look at guys like Ryan McKinley; he's gonna have to step up just like that. You're like, well, hey, man. You know, you, you might have had, you know, you're still in the rotation for sure. And you know he was. He was a talented kid. I mean, you know, right, the same thing. is Now it's like, hey, you are guys. Like, right. let's go. You know, these guys are gone. You got to step up. So it, it will be interesting to see. I don't know. And, again, like, like we both just said, man, that would have been the most talented defensive back group more probably in the country without question. But now you look at it and it's like, okay, well, since these guys opted out, what, what are we going to do now? So that's where the questions kind of come to me is, you lose that group, and that's kind of a group that made plays for you when you need when you needed them, right? Javon Holland's another guy, probably one of the top safeties in the entire country. Decides to opt out. Can you blame the guys? Absolutely not, because you're probably going to be, you know, a uh, uh, top three round pick. So 
So it's like, you know, you can't really turn down the millions of dollars in order to maybe have the season, right? So you see, you see why they did it. You see kind of the way things were going. But again, with those guys gone, who knows what's going to happen now? And these are all brand new faces across the board, not just on the defensive side, but you got to get a brand new offensive line. I mean, we know what Tyler Shook, we've seen little bits and pieces of him, but have we seen him as a starting quarterback? Um, you know, you have Johnny Johnson still. You still have Michael, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. You, you get a lot of guys out there still that can make the plays. But, again, replacing a brand-new offensive line, every single one of them on top of that, a brand-new quarterback, I mean, and losing your defense, that's tough. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say if there's one team I think they can recover very quickly from that, and that would be Oregon. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, or or an Oregon uh, podcaster or somebody who uh, is on the beat with them full time would, you know, you could probably do it. You could name off the guys that are behind and they're four or five, uh, you know, high yeah. four star guys. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, sometimes those four star guys don't pan out and it is really an unknown until they get on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so who are some guys on the offense that uh, Washington fans should know about? Well, obviously, you got to know about Johnny Johnson. That's kind of that's probably their their main go-to guy. Um, Brian Addison, another uh, receiver, very talented. Pittman Jr., another another extremely talented guy. More importantly, I think Tyler Shuck is a guy that the Husky fans need to, to really think about because you watch what he did against USC, and this is I will put this in perspective for everybody, so it makes a little bit more sense. There is a big difference between a performance in garbage time when you're already blowing a team out by 40 points and the start of the game, right? So when you don't have a lot of film on a guy, you don't really know what to expect, right? I think that's why a lot of time we see so many guys who come into the game, you know, maybe their first game ever in college football and they go throw for, you know, a couple hundred yards. People are like, who is this guy, right? Because you don't have film on him. You don't know his tendencies. You don't know how he reads, his poison in the pocket, anything like that. But I'm interested to see what he can do from what I've heard, what I've seen, the things, you know, little rumors around as as a journalist. It sounds like they think he is the real deal and he is kind of that, that go-to guy. Another guy to keep in mind as well as um, I think I can't remember his first name is blank, but uh, Butterfield quarterback from California. He's another very talented guy. He was a five-star quarterback, you know, four or four or five-star quarterback. I mean, they're getting a lot of guys that you're like, man, like this is these guys are talented, but we just have not seen what they can do, right? And I'm a big guy of, I think I was a, a three star recruit, right? Two or three star, something like that. But I ended up starting on special teams and things like that. So keep in mind, stars don't always bolt you forward. It's what you can do with that product. You know, it's what Coach Cristobal and the staff can do. Can you take a three star guy and have him play like he's a five star guy, or can you take a four star guy and play like a five star? Or more importantly which it seems like in Oregon's case right now, can you take a five-star guy and get the full five-star talent out of him on top of that with hard work? I think they can do that. Some guys like that are definitely people to keep in mind. The offensive line, like I told you, huge question mark for me. I don't know, right? I'm, ex- I'm interested to see what, they, what they're going to do because Coach Cristobal is so keyed in on the offensive line all the time. You know, obviously, being an offensive line guy himself, he's so keyed in on that. So you know he has something ready. You know he has the guys that he wants and how he's going to get them there. I'm interested to see how long it takes because there's no warm-up games now in the conference, right? This is the talented team. You're at the very top. If you're at the top of the mountain, people are going to want to knock you off the mountain. 
So everyone's going to bring their A game every single time. And there's no warm-up games. There's no early, you know, you're playing Nevada. There's no, you're playing Eastern Washington. No, you're going, actually, I shouldn't have said Eastern Washington, man. They knocked us off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what but, uh, you know what I'm saying? There's just, there's none of those, there's none of those gimme games, right? That will keep you warmed up. You're like, oh, okay, Tyler Chuck can miss that. You know what I'm saying? Or this guy can miss that hole because he's up by 50. Or you drop this ball because you're up by 50. There's none of that. You're going straight into, okay, well, hey, man, you got to play, you got to play Washington right now, right? So now it's like, you got to go. This is your rivalry game. This is your big game. Like, you can't ease into it. You're already in it. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's something to keep in mind um, offensively. There's a lot of question marks still, but I think for the most part, they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah. And then on, on the defensive side, obviously the name that jumps out at me, he's one of my favorite players in the conference outside of Washington is KB on Thibodeau. Um, oh, yeah. Dominant. Um, mm-hmm. What are some other guys that we can uh, kind of keep our eyes open for uh, mm-hmm. when Oregon takes the field? So Vernon McKinley again, a corner, young guy, swagger. He has, you know, a little smack talking. I, I love that about guys at corner because again, it reminds me a lot of when we played against Washington in 2016 when the Huskies ended up going to the um, college football playoffs. What I noticed about those guys is that the swagger, the confidence, and more importantly, just the I don't care who you are, I'm going to beat you mentality, right? And I think that whole defense had that. And so I think that's kind of being instilled in the Oregon's defense a lot. You know, obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau is that guy where it's like, man, this guy is supposed to be, what, 18 or 19 years old, and he's, and he's playing against older guys, and he's just throwing them around like they're nuts. You know what I'm saying? So Mikhail Wright's another guy. I think he is going to be something special, not just at corner, but my goodness, man, you watch him as a return man. I study returning a lot because that's something that I used to love to do, being a former return guy at Oregon State. You got it. There's an art to it. Not a lot of people know that. And something I think that makes him so dangerous is the fact that he understands that it that it is an art. It's not just you get the ball and you run straight and you try to find a hole. It's right, right. That you understand how to read the creases. You understand where the holes are going to be depending on one or two guys. I think that makes him so deadly on the special teams. And uh, I would say those two guys are my main two guys to watch before because, again, when you have some guys leave, somebody has to step up and take those roles. I know that they're young and I know that they have made plays, but that's with not as much pressure being on you because you maybe have a blanket of not getting beat because you have Javon Holland behind you, right? So now that he's gone, and some of the other talented guys are gone, like Brady Breeze, who's another ball hawk. What are you guys going to do? What can this? What can these two guys do, knowing that you don't have a blanket behind? Yeah, and you know, Mikel Wright was a guy that was high on uh, Washington's list uh, when he was being recruited. I mean, and when it comes to the returns, we've seen at Washington, we've seen two of the best in a long time at the kick return with John Ross, and then um, obviously uh, the punt returning with. Uh, Dante, it's it's not just go as fast as you can and be more athletic. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's some really good stuff to bring up there. And uh, so for Oregon, how do they win games? I think it's going to be a a lot of the same as you see last season. Uh, A lot of running the ball, you know, quarterbacks can make the plays and make throws if they need to. Defense, I think will not be as good. Like we've already talked about hundreds of times. They won't be as good, but they'll still be, you know, they'll still be towards the top of the conference. Uh, A lot of young talent coming in, but, 
especially with the Sewell brother coming in, right, as as a linebacker, that's going to be something to keep in mind, too. He's, he's a guy I should have talked about because a lot of people I've talked to and watched the film, I mean, this guy, people talk about this kid like he's going to come in and play for a season and head out to the league. So that's something to keep in mind. If he is truly that good and his film speaks for itself without question, then I think he's going to be another guy to watch out. He's going to make a huge impact. But I think we're going to see a lot of the same, like I said, that we saw last season, physical on the inside, on the on the run game, run defense. On the outside, you have a lot of fast, talented guys, a little swagger to them, you know, like to talk a little bit of smack and, and just make big plays. And I think even if it comes down to grinding out the wins, I think Coach Chris Ball has the right pieces to do that. So I think expect a few blowouts, but more importantly, expect some really – solid wins of, you know, maybe two touchdowns, right, where um, a, a good throwback to maybe like a Stanford a couple of years ago where the scoreboard might not show it, but you got dominated. And I think that's a lot of what we'll probably see. From yeah, and to, to cap it off, uh, is it the north or bust for Oregon? Absolutely. No question. It's north or bust. Coming off of the successful season that you did, the recruits that you have now, you do lose some guys. But, again, if you go over – to Seattle and say, hey, man, we lost we lost some guys. Um, what, do you, what are the Husky fans going to tell you? Who cares because we still want to beat you, right? Nobody cares if you lost guys. It's how you're going to reload, how you're going to respond to it. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see. Do they have it in them to reload? Expectations are high. Pressure. Some guys some guys crack under it. Some guys, you know, come out as diamonds and end up in the NFL. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the Ducks are going to do. And, again, you have no room. You have no wiggle room anymore. You know, it's every game is going to matter. Every conference game is is going to be a, a fist fight, man. It's going to be a dog fight. How are you going to respond? Are you going to step up to the challenge? Are you going to crack under the pressure? There you have it. Marcus Greaves, thank you. Where can people find your work? So you can find it at coin.com. That is K-O-I-N.com. You can go check out my podcast. I have a few, uh, but, you know, we have ducking around. Duck. That is ducking around. Yes, I said ducking around. Seattle, <laughs> <sure>. correct. <laughs> and then Beaver Smack. You can find that in the Coin Podcast uh, section on the website. Uh, again, talk everything much like you guys do. Everything Oregon and Oregon State breaking down the games, football, basketball, everything. On top of that, you can also catch me on Twitter at MarcusGreaves underscore. And for those of you who have Instagram, same thing, MarcusGreaves underscore. But Trevor, I want to say thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I know we talked a little bit off there that uh, maybe a, a couple couple decisions away from maybe being a Husky, but, uh, you know, ended up being an Oregon State Beaver and, and things like that. But, hey, man, I like the Husky fans. You can you can definitely look at my Twitter and see that I do enjoy Husky fans because, again, the rivalry between the Ducks and the Huskies is something that I think is absolutely phenomenal. College football needs it. I love the smash talk. I love the constant going back and forth, whether it be in recruiting battle and, and you know, Jimmy Lake with Mario Cristobal or it's just even with the players, you know. Yeah. You know yeah. Morgan comes out on top, obviously, they're throwing up the dog sign uh, upside down. If the Huskies win, my goodness, uh, just expect it to be a 70 to 21 blowout. I remember that too. So this, that's what I'm saying, man. That's, that's the rivalry. I love, I love both sides. There you go, everybody. Marcus Greaves. All right, there you have it. Marcus is uh, still high on Oregon, but he understands that with, you know, the, the loss of 
the graduating seniors off of the offensive line, then Penea Sewell deciding to opt for the 2021 NFL draft. He knows that they got holes to fix. And then the defensive backfield, um, Lenore decided that he was going to opt back into the season, but they are depleted. Um, and they are the a, a very talented roster, but unproven in some really, really important places. But, you know, it's crazy, Jake. Uh, for as long as we've been uh, covering the Pac-12 and there's been name after name after name of quarterbacks, you, you knew who was coming next. But this year, especially in the North, outside of um, uh, Chase Garbers, they're all new. Right. And, and so, like, Washington and Oregon have the two be- uh, most talented rosters in the, in the conference. But it's all going to come down to – well, it's not all going to come down to, but a big part of it is going to be what's going to happen at quarterback. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he said it, you know, Tyler Show, he, he's apparently the arm talent and has the ability to lead this team. But who – I mean, who really knows? You know, until you get thrown into game situations, no, nobody knows how well you handle pressure like that. Um, they do have somebody competing for the job, a uh, graduate transfer, Anthony Brown from uh, Boston College. And that's I think right. that's going to be that, that's going to be the best thing for show is competition up to the first game of the year. And, and that's going to push this kid a little bit harder. But um the unknown commodities that are all around the Pac-12 North with quarterbacks is is definitely something to keep your eye on as far as, you know, like you said, the, the talent is there for us and for Oregon and even really for Cal. But the difference is, is Cal knows what they have at quarterback. Right. Yeah, and I, you've, you've seemed pretty high on Cal in, in that case. And um, – I mean, there's a good case for it. So, you know, for Oregon, um, they just – they've been good. They they continue to recruit well. Um, I, I'm sick of, you know, everything that has to do with Mario Cristobal and, and that coaching staff. Um, but, you know, they if, – if you're looking at this pre-COVID, you know, there's a good argument for them being a, a – playoff team and you know we'll see if that keeps up um so jake do you got anything else before we get into the i don't really want to talk anymore ducks football (laughs) i never wanted to yeah so uh, (laughs) let's jump right in they uh first they got stanford that's gonna be a win yeah i think we're gonna see as we go stanford's not gonna find many w's on the schedule um, next, they have WSU. So when? I agree with you. Pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, first two games, I don't think that they're going to have to compete at all. First three games. Then yeah. they got UCLA. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the dangerous part about the schedule for us versus Oregon is that this gives their offensive line time to gel. It gives their quarterback time to find a rhythm, let the game slow down, and – yeah, they're going to be dangerous by the time they reach game four. Yeah, well, uh, you know, game four they got Oregon State. Yeah. So, and we already said you, we, we both said Oregon, that was a win. Oregon's going to clip them. Yep, I think yeah. that's going to be their toughest their toughest battle to date on the schedule. 
Oh, I totally agree. Their last four games are where it gets tough for them. Or the last three, I'm sorry. Uh, Oregon State, they have a loss. Then they have Cal. I'm going to pick Oregon in this. Okay. Oh, no, I'm going, I'm going backwards. I'm going to take Cal. Okay, I also am taking Cal. And then the final game of the season, they host Washington. Uh, who are you picking? I'm picking Washington. Are you? Yep. Okay. Um, man, I will too. I will too. That one's tough. That one's a tough game to, to decide. I mean, hopefully by that point, our offensive line is gelling and our quarterback has a rhythm too. Um, yep. It kind of comes down to that defense. Google their secondary mesh. By the time that we play them, um, we know what our secondary is, right? Yes. Um, but can our defensive line get pressure on a consistent basis on on his on their quarterback? And that's what needs to happen when we play Oregon. We really need constant pressure, whether that's sending more guys or just if we can get pressure with, with the front four, I don't know. But that quarterback needs to feel the pain. And especially after playing Cal and Oregon State, he needs to be a little bit rattled. And I think that's what the best thing we have going for us is that he, they, they have two games prior to us that are going to be smash-mouth football. So hopefully we can come in and kind of just finish them off. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm counting on too is uh, teams struggle after playing a physical team like Cal. Um, so, you know, I, it comes down for me that uh, Oregon's really talented. Uh, KB on Thibodeau is – He's my favorite player on that roster. I think he's one of the best outside linebackers in the uh, in the nation. Um, you had you had to think Penny Sewell was your favorite player on that roster prior to him leaving. I mean, that uh, guy's a top that guy's a top four three lineman in the nation. He's a top three or four pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's he's, he's legit. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, looking. Look, just looking at the guys that they lost uh, due to graduation, and I know that they have guys there, you know, as Marcus was mentioning, guys that will be filling those spots. Yeah. Those are guys that Washington wanted as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's going to be talent on talent. They're going to have time to uh, develop. But just looking at the thing about this, this 2020 Huskies team is their defense is so good. Uh, that I just don't see a lot of success for offenses. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I hope that this is the best defense they've ran out on the field. You lose a couple guys, that hurts. Um, yep. But you always lose a couple guys, right? Exactly. College football. Exactly. All right, so Jake, you and I have the exact same win-loss the entire way. We have them at 5-1. and one. All right. Well, that'll do it for Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. For more daily content, visit si.com forward slash college forward slash Washington. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>